All right. Uh, guys, turn in to your Bibles. We'll be hovering in Romans. We're going to start out in Romans 3.10. This is going to make everybody feel good about themselves. All right. You guys there? That, yeah, that's, I'm sorry. If you don't understand sarcasm, that was sarcasm. Um, if you need an education on sarcasm, come talk to me for like 10 minutes and you'll figure it out. Um, sorry. So this should make everybody feel good. Romans 3.10. And it says, as it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a very harsh verse. That's why I was doing that with a little bit of sarcasm, because that's a harsh verse. Um, the scripture is harsh. If you do not, uh, if you've never been poked and prodded by the gospels of Jesus, if you have not, never been reading scripture and it has jabbed you, you're reading the wrong verses, please read them all. Um, Romans 3.10 is a hard verse for humans to listen to because we want to think of ourselves as good people. And naturally, as humans, we want to think of ourselves as good. Well, I, I'm a good person. I, I do this. I'm kind to people. And, but righteousness and goodness are two different things. Um, we st- people are like, oh, those are just so nice. There's a difference between nice and good. Yeah. You ever met a nice person? And they're like, oh, bless your heart. And you're like, yeah, I know what that means. Um, <laughs> and then there's good people. Good people and nice people are two different, ty- are two different types of people. When you, you meet a nice person, you're like, oh, they were nice. But there wasn't a lot of substance there usually. But when you meet a good person, you're like, wow, th- that kind of person is the kind of person that would probably help you out if you were in a jam. There, there's a difference between that. But there's a difference between a good person if we look at scripture, there's a difference between a good person and a righteous person. And Paul says to us, none of you are righteous. None of us. So where does righteousness come from? Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm going home now. That's it. You just <laughs> Johnny just finished the sermon for me. I'm gone. I'm done. It's all I had. So, um, so righteousness comes from Christ Jesus. But we're going we're gonna to start going through Romans 1 a little bit here. So Romans 1, 1 through 6, it says, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. That's a huge phrase right there, set apart for the gospel. Paul was not, oh, I do this on my free time. He was like, I'm set apart for this. He was called out to do this. He was set into a different role, a different lifestyle, a different title, a different position for the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and Holy Scripture concerning his son who was descended from David. Now, we're going to go through some genealogy quick. Descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and the apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. I like what he says there. He says, he says, whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith. Think about this. He, he said, I'm an apostle. He's called, he was called to be an apostle. But he said, we have 
grace and apostleship to bring about obedience to faith. That means we were called and we were set apart to bring obedience to faith. But how do we do that? How do we bring obedience to faith? We talked a couple weeks ago about how, how Abraham was, um, didn't have a savior, didn't have um, you know, a high priest, didn't have anything like that, but his, his actions were counted as faith and righteousness was, was given to him. So what I love about verse 6, it says, including you, so if you're sitting here, if anybody's ever read this scripture, that means you're you. We are called to belong to Christ Jesus. The, the biggest part of that is how he finishes up. You were called to belong to Christ Jesus. It's not, oh, well, some were, some were not. You know, there, there, there's some beliefs that God created humans and he chose some humans to go to heaven and he created some humans just to stoke the fire of hell and to feed the fire of hell. And that's, that's completely wrong because God called man and woman to what? Be fruitful, multiply. They sinned, they messed up, they made excuses. It was her fault, she made me do it. And then she, you know, and then the woman blames the serpent and, you know, excuses were given. But God didn't call an elect few. It's those who believe in him are the ones that he has called. God chose everybody, but it's our decision to choose him. So, so Paul goes on, he starts to talk a little bit about what he's doing, um, and I'm not going to read all of that to you, it's, it's his desire to be back in Rome, he's, he's going through some things. Um, so, Paul was called to everybody, he says Jews, Greeks, Samar Samaritans, barbarians, he even says that, he was called to minister to everybody. So as we skip down, we're going to skip past verses 8 through 15 because he's just talking about his longing to be in Rome. He talks about this. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of people believe that this phrasing comes from Paul's um, view back of, because he understood Scripture. He understood, understood the Old Testament. So it's his calling back to the righteous who lived by faith before him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the people who believed God, even though they didn't see Jesus, they believed who God was. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is, is the righteousness of God is, ugh, wow, let me restart that one. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what is the gospel? It, Paul describes it. He says it is what? The power of God for what? Salvation. If you read that, that is the, what the gospel is. It is the power of God for salvation. That is what the gospel is. Salvation is for, and my question to you is, who is salvation for? It's for everyone who believes. It says right there. I'm going to read this to you again. Let's pay attention this time. <laughs> for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to who everyone who believes. Thank you. Yes, there we go. We're getting it. 
All right. So, <laughs> sorry. Um, that's where the belief in God and salvation are different. How many of you ever talked to someone like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe he's this and I believe he's that and I believe he's, you know, some people believe he's just this cosmic orb that floats around and watches us tear apart each other and be mean to each other. Some believe that he's, he's up there and he created us, but he just let us be and doesn't do anything. Others believe in God, but they don't believe in a, you know, they're like, oh, it's just God, it's just God you know, and I'm not really into that thing. Um, but Paul says it right there, salvation is for everyone who believes, not, well, I believe in God, but I accept salvation from the one who created salvation. And I'll get into that in just a minute. But Paul says, how do we live? As righteous people, how do we live? By faith. We live by faith because we have nothing. Uh, when he was talking to a lot of those people, he's like, you live by faith because you have nothing else. Paul was a tent maker by trade. That was a trade he learned. But you got to think this. He was part of the Pharisees. He was, he was their executioner. He was the, the guy that puts on the black gloves before he says, hey, you know, are you a Christian or not? And then and kills you. And then, you know, says, oh, take, take the body away. This guy was an executioner. He murdered thousands of people. He went on rampages trying to purge Christians from the nation of Israel. He was like, okay, these people are a, a plague. They're a sect. They're a radical group of people who, who are uh, misinterpreting the scriptures from what the, what the Torah says and what, what the scriptures say, and now I have to purge them from the face of the earth. But as he's going to Damascus to do what he's called to do, God calls him and says, hey, Saul, what are you doing? He's like, who are you? But he knocks him off, he's blinded, and the moment he speaks to him, Saul realizes who he was. There was something in that conversation between the Almighty God and man in, a, in the natural that changed who he was and brought him into a new calling, into a new destiny. We don't know all, all the entire conversation that we, we see that, that quick conversation between him and God, and he's like, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Here's the thing is, Saul had enough experience with Scripture and understood enough Scripture to understand that he was having a supernatural experience and he knew it was God. He knew it was God and he didn't say, well, you know, what are you trying to do to me? He, he understood who his master was. He understood the voice of God. And I think if God audibly speaks to you, I think you'll understand who, the, 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 who God is when he audibly speaks to you. The people around him probably were like, what the heck is going on? This guy's, you know, he's on the ground. He can't see. He's having a, a, a vision. They're not quite understanding what's going on. And Paul is having a come to Jesus moment and bringing himself into subjection to Christ Jesus. But Paul says it, that there was a, in the, the book of Acts, there's a lot of argument between some of the disciples. Some of the disciples were like, hey, this is for the people of Israel only. And some of them were like, no, we want, it's for everybody. It's for the Gentiles. And there, there's, there's conversations throughout the entire New Testament of, well, it's for these people, not these people. 
and, and they're, they're, they finally just had to settle it. But Paul reiterates this to the Roman people. He says, hey, you're not, you're not Jewish people. You're Roman citizens. You're, you're, I'm writing to Rome. And he says, this gospel, the power of salvation for you is for you. The power of, of salvation from God is for you. Think about this. If he had not done that, where would we be? The, the, the bringing the gospel out of the Jewish, from the Jewish people to the, the Samaritans, the Greeks, the Romans, that, where would we be without him speaking that forth and sending those letters? Because these were encouragement letters to, these weren't books that he wrote to them. We, wrote, we call them books because that's how we've categorized them. But these are letters that he's written to these people saying, hey, there is power the power of God is for salvation, and it is available to you. But he says the righteous live by faith. It's not something where we just, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. We live by faith. So Genesis 5, 6, 15, 6 talks about Abraham, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed what God said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't have the blood of Jesus shed for him. That was a thousand years later. But he believed what God said, that he would do what he was going to do, and it counted to him as being righteous before God. That's an amazing thing. If you really think about Abraham just believed what God said, and we read, if you read the book of, uh, of um, Genesis and we read about Abraham, he, he did some stupid things, but he believed God and what he said, and it was counted to him as righteousness in the sight of God. That's an amazing thing. And the great thing is, is this, we have Christ Jesus. The only thing, yes, we have a better, we have a better way, a better covenant with Christ as the sacrifice for us. Think about this. We didn't have to believe what God said. For righteousness. We didn't have to, to do anything to be counted as righteousness. We just had to accept a free gift. We had to accept and believe. It says, believe in your heart that Christ Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth. I'm, I'm mashing up some things here, but just go, go with me here. When we believe and we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says what? You shall be what? Saved. When we are born again, are we righteous? No, we're not righteous. There's no way we can be righteous, no matter what we do throughout our entire life. The only way we are righteous is through the blood of Jesus that covers all sin, our sin, that makes us now, God puts on the, the special glasses and he sees the blood of Jesus. He got the 3D glasses on and he sees the, the blood of Jesus, which covers our lives because no matter what we do, no matter how good we are, no matter what we help feed the poor, whatever we do, it's never going to be enough to make ourselves have right standing with God. The only way we can have right standing with God is through God giving us right standing. We are not holy. We are not perfect. He is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin and he is blameless. And so Christ Jesus was the only way for us to be able to live in a righteous way. 
for righteousness to be given to us, not for us to try to earn righteousness. You ever tried to do something to be a better person? You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a better person. And then you're like, two days later, you're like, I hate that person. I'm just done with it. Come on, we're, we're all human. We're like, I'm just going to be nice to them no matter what. And then two days later, you're like, do I have to keep up this crap? Because I'm sick of being nice to this person. They're a jerk. It's true. There's, no, there's nothing in us that can continually be good because we are fallen. For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. So our righteousness comes through Christ Jesus. It's not, a lot of people want to think that it's our sin that sends us to hell. It's actually not our sin, it's our rebellion. Our rebellion is what keeps us from being, it keeps us from being righteous. There's no way you can be righteous and rebellious at the same time. Look at Satan, lived in perfect unity with God, but he fell because he wanted to do his own thing. He's like, oh, I'm sick of leading worship in heaven. I want to go start my own band. And, you know, so. Unrighteousness is, our righteousness is given to us, never earned. But righteous, unrighteousness can be earned. The moment we are born, we earn that. We earn unrighteousness because of our sin nature. I know that's not a very popular thing to talk about in churches anymore is sin. For some reason, it's just like, oh, we can't talk about it anymore because that makes people offended and hurt. Well, get over it. So, Romans 1.18. The heading above this is God's wrath on the unrighteous. And that's a majority of what Paul talks about here. And it's meant to make us uncomfortable. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Think about this. Our own sin, we suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to men, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although, <coughs> excuse me, for although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. Think about this. That's a lot right there. That, that describes the downfall of man right there. He sums up like three books of the Bible right there. Think about this. What does the Tower of Babel represent? Man's like, oh, we're going to build a tower. We're going to make it glory. Uh, we're we're going to get up to reach heaven. We're going to ascend to the, the levels of heaven. And God's like, not anymore. You can't even talk. You don't even understand each other. But think of this, it says, even though they've clearly perceived God's presence in the world. Think about it. God created the world and he spoke life into existence and he created, he created the garden. But think about this. God's power never stopped working when he, create, when he spoke on, this, on the first six days. 
Because what happens is that he create he, he the moment he spoke life into existence, it started a perpetual motion of life. Think about we were at um, uh, Layla and Levi's house, and we were last week, and we were cutting down some some trees, and they have giant oak trees there. But there was these oak saplings, and they were about this. T- some were like knee high, some were like five six feet. God created the moment he made in motion life into a tree. It's a perpetual motion of life and death. Even though death will come, that, that life continues on through that acorn, that stupid little acorn that dropped into the backyard. It created a perpetual motion of life. And there's no way that you can look at creation and say, I think just it happened. Everything kind of fell into place. You know, the universe took a a giant belch, and it just came into existence. There's no way we can look at the, the existence of where, uh, what we live in, what we live on, and not say, there wasn't intelligent design, there wasn't a creator that made this. Because we look throughout nature, and, and, and you know, in our, our modern world, we, we just, you know, we go for, oh, hey, I got a headache, I grab a Tylenol. But within nature, God created elements of, of plants and, and trees and different things that help man walk through life. There's, there's herbs and medicines that God has created, and they are made to help us. You know, it's like uh, an aspen tree. What's that sound like? Aspirin. The, the, the bark of that can, can help with headaches. But w- so when we look at that, what, what's happened in the last, you know, 3,000 years is we've taken the natural, what God has created, and said, how do I make a synthetic version of it? How do I make a, an altered version of what is natural? How do I make it to what, what I want it to be? And that's what he's talking about. He says, they've traded wisdom for foolishness. And I'm not putting down medicine by any means. I'm, believe, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying is what they've done is they've taken what is natural from God and they said, oh, we're going to create our own version of it and we're going to make it how we want it to be. They became fools when they claimed to be wise. In verse 23, it says this, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Think about this. We're talking about the children of Israel. This is the start. God leads them out of Egypt. There's, what, somewhere around, they say around 2 million people. He leads them out of Egypt, brings them into the wilderness land, and they're, they're working their way through the wilderness land. He gives a cloud by day, fire by night. He's giving them food every day. He's giving them provision. He's getting, giving them water from the middle of a rock. He's giving them a, a perpetual um, lifestyle of relying upon him and what do they do the moment Moses walks away he turns his back he's like I'll be back and they create an image of God instead of living in the glory of God it says they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling where was I? I lost it mortal man birds and animals and creeping things they're like hey we know God loves us, but we need to worship something we can see. God had never intended Israel to do that. He had always intended them to worship him and for him to be their king. But they, they, they moved from slavery to idol worship into the land where they mar- intermarried. They got stupid. They did 
multiple idols. They started worshiping multiple false gods. And then they're like, well, now we need a king. We've, you look through a scripture and you can see how they deviated from God's plan every way they possibly could. Oh, we, we, you have a, a God who provides for you. Oh, we, but we need something that's pretty looking so we can bow down before it and lay our offerings before it. They were so interested in viewing God instead of enjoying the presence of a holy God. So they made birds, animals, and creeping things as their idol worship. I think in our day we can just exchange those for TV, money, and whatever else you want to fill in the blank with. All right, verse 30, uh, 24, excuse me. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Think about this. God didn't, God allowed them to have free will, but it says here, he says he gave them up to it. To dishonoring their, of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth for, about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We see this today. We were, we were in the, my wife decided that she just wanted to get a dog. And I'm like, oh, okay. And one day she's just scrolling through puppies on the internet. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're getting a dog. And, and she went to, she wanted to get a dog. Yes, you have a dog. So just calm down. You have a, it's a dog. It's just a small version of a dog. Um, so we got a puppy. But she's going through this, these places and, and she's scrolling through these places and she want, she goes, oh, I really want this dog. And she put a little request in and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I got turned down. I'm like, why? She goes, we don't have a fenced in yard and our vet wasn't on the approved list. Oh, it's a tragedy. I know. Yeah. Oh, oh. I just, I'm heartbroken about it. But think about this. The, the people that had that we're more interested in the welfare of an animal. Uh, we don't need no, no, no. You need to be quiet. <laughs> but what happens is, is we've 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 started to worship the creature. We started to worship the nature. We started to worship the earth more than we started to worship the God who created these. They're so worried about. Oh, is your cat allowed outside? Yes, because it needs to kill rodents. Yes. Oh, no, we don't let our cats outside. That's inhumane, but we declaw them. Um, yeah, we rip their fingernails off, but don't let them outside because that's not right. That's, the, that's what I'm talking about. We worship an animal more than we worship cr the creator. We, people, oh, well, you know, oh, I just, I, you know, I pray to this and I, I talk to this and I, I, I mother earth. I'm like, you're dumb. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't hold back on this one. You know, I see these people like, oh, come out to, come out to the forest and just, we're going to commune with nature. I'm like, who are you talking to? I'm like, the, oh, if you're going to go out in nature, you should be out there thanking God that you have the ability to see what he's created. But we've, we, you know, they serve the creature rather than the creator. They value human, they value the, the lives of these things more than a human being. Think about this. If you don't want a baby, what do you do? You just go down and kill it. 
you don't want a puppy, oh, you have to turn it in because if you kill the puppy, oh my gosh, you'd be in jail for 40 years. I'm not saying please don't kill dogs. I'm just saying. But uh, what, what, what does our culture become? We worship dogs and, and, and cats more than we worship, we worship God and we're willing to s- throw babies into the, the hands of Moloch and kill babies because we don't want them. You see all these places on the internet, oh, if you don't want your puppy, please bring it in. We'll take care of it. Why don't we, why aren't Christians saying, if you don't want your baby, we'll take your baby? Because these people are worshiping creation, not a creator. Sorry, I'm, got me fired up there. I mean, we like dogs to a certain point. When, when you get over like two to three, it gets a little excessive. <laughs> but, but I, three is like the max. <laughs> they're cute when they're little, and then they get big, and you're like, can I trade in for a newer, a smaller version of it? <laughs> um, but wh- why has humanity gone to the point of worshiping an animal and worshiping the creation? You know, the, they worship their herbs and their oils and their candle, uh, soy-flavored candles and stuff, but they, they, they've given up on God. Well, candles are made with soy, so it's okay. If you eat soy, I'm sorry. You should probably stop. Um, <laughs> eat something real. Um, but they've given up on worshiping God. It's become the idol. It's become the idol just like the children of Israel built their idol of a, a graven image of what they thought God would look like and if you, you real, if you realize that when they were building that idol, they built it in the, the, the form of a, a young bull, which later turned on to be it later turned to be worship of Baal. Yeah. Someone had said, "Hey, let's let there, you know there was some jerk in the crowd there. So let's make it look like a cow. That's probably what God looks like, because he was secretly, you know, like, hey, we need to worship the God I want to worship. But we we started to worship creation." And we've given up on worshiping the creator, the one who's, who's breathed life into us. The one who gave us breath, the one who gives us breath. The, the moment every morning we wake up, we're, we're breathing. That is God's handiwork in motion. No one can really explain. Doctors can try to explain oxygen and car, carbon dioxide and how our lungs work, but it's still a mystery. Because how did it start? They don't know. So they, they, try to, they try to divert us from saying there is a creator of the world, the one who created everything and started everything with the words that he spoke. And they just like, well, you know, animals, and, you know, you probably climbed out of some sludge about 10 million years ago. And you, you know, your, your aunts and uncles were like, you know, monkeys. And you know, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Because I've met some chimps that are smarter than me, but they still can't talk. So... All right, 26, for this reason, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that were unnatural. And the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed in their passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving within themselves the due penalty for their error. And, they, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to their debased minds to do what they ought to not, excuse me, to do what they ought not to do. 
They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, contentiousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. We're, I'm just sorry. Man is an inventor of evil. We have figured out every way possible on our earth to become evil and to be worthless human beings. Disobedient to the parents. Oh, that was a tough one. And he's just like, inventors of evil, evil, and then disobedient to parents. Like, whoa, whoa, we threw that in there quick. <laughs> Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Does that sound like anything we've heard of? And I think in the last five years, we've really seen this come out like a, a big neon sign that says, hey, have fun doing evil here. And, but he says they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness. God gave, and, and what Paul is talking about in verse 24 through 26, or excuse me, through 27, he's talking about, he's referring back to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's referring back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we, we, we always like to talk about, you know, Lot and his wife, how, you know, God says, get out, flee. And, you know, like they were some innocent parties to this, this tragedy that was going to go on in, in um, Sodom and Gomorrah. But we, if we really read the scripture, we re will start to realize that Lot not only lived on the outskirts of town, he's like, oh, I'm a shepherd. I live in the outskirts of town. He moved himself into town. Then he became a resident. But it says that he became a judge in the town. What happened was, is Lot was not just being, wasn't righteous going, oh, I'm just going to go in and win everybody over and we're going we're to convert this town. He became an active member of this town. But because he had right standing with God, God's like, I'm going to give you mercy. I'm at least going to warn you. I mean, the guy's like, hey, the messengers of God come into the city. They're like, hey, we're, we're here to tell you. We're visiting with you. You need to get out. The men of the city come like, hey, we want to have our way with them. And Lot's like, hey, I got a great idea. Here's my daughters. Take them instead. Do we, we see how he's starting to abandon the natural wisdom for the unnatural. He's like, oh, no, no not these guys. But you know what's really sad, too, is if you read that scripture, they say, hey, bring them out that we may have relations with them and you also. They wanted Lot and his friends to come out so they could whatever they do. And, but we see the, that Lot was not, did not have the ability to change that culture. He became assimilated to it. He became, he became part of it. He became a judge for them to rule and reign over them. And what happened was that he, the, his um, desire for power probably became too much. And he said, well, you know, I, I can't resist them, so maybe I can control them. But God had mercy on him. Think about this. God could have destroyed him because Lot was, was involved in a lot of their, their stuff. You can't not be a, you know, lawmaker, keeper in that town if you're not involved in that town. But God had mercy on him. But it says that they, were, they gave up the natural, the way God designed it. As Jesus said, a man should leave his parents, 
marry his wife and cling to his wife, they gave up the unnatural or the natural for the unnatural. For they gave up what is, was created to be righteous in the sight of God, to be holy in the sight of God, that marriage should be holy in the sight of God, to an unnatural lifestyle of whatever moves, breathes, whatever you want to live and have a relationship with or have sex with, that's okay now. That's not okay. No matter what our culture says, marriage is still sacred in the eyes of God. Marriage is still sacred in, in one way. And there, there's only one marriage, and that is the man and a woman. We can say there's other marriages, but there's not. And I'm sorry if you get offended by that and get over it. Um, but I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry about that. If you don't like it, get over it. Um, marriage is created in the sight of God for man and woman. And we can create labels of how we want man and woman. And pretty soon it's just going to be like, Steve married this woman and he married the dog. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. But God gave them up to their own sin. Because they wanted it. He's like, fine, if you want it, go for it. I'll give, I'm giving you up to it. But... In 20, it says, since they, did not acknowledge, since they didn't acknowledge him, of who he was, he gave them up to everything that, that scripture, those last couple of verses say. But that t- the title over verse 18 through t- 31 says, God's wrath on the unrighteous. That is a scary thought. You know, some of us, we're born again because we, we felt the love of God and we were born again because we wanted the love, we, the, the love of God, compassion of God came over us. Some of us got born again because we were scared to go to hell. I, I'm dead serious. Some of us were born again because like somebody told us about hell and we're like, I don't want to go there. That sounds really crappy. And, I, and we got born again because we were afraid. We got, we got born again from fear. Either one of those getting born again is okay. What we have to do is we have to start to change how we talk to people. If you were born again from fear of going to hell, that's great that you got born again, but we need to start to change how you think about God. God just doesn't send you to hell because he doesn't like you. We send ourselves there because we choose not to follow him and submit ourselves to him. So how do we escape the wrath of God? We look at Lot and his wife, and they were escaping the wrath of God to run away from that. And we're not talking like a small city. We're talking, you guys ever seen how big the Dead Sea is? We're not talking about a small little Hesperia podunk size town. We're talking about a pretty large area that is now nothing but sulfur and salt. But God had mercy on him, even though he became part of their culture. Even though he assimilated into it, God had mercy on him. So how do we escape the wrath of God? Good works? No. Loving your neighbor, even though God says to love our neighbor, it does not make us righteous. It does not bring us out of the wrath of God. Feeding the poor? Nope, sorry, that doesn't work either. God says to feed the poor, but that's all within the constraints of salvation and following him. He doesn't tell unbelievers to feed the poor. Romans 5, 15, um, this is the Amplified Bible, and it says, but the free gift of God is not like the trespass. 
because of the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. For if many died by one man's trespass, trespass, Adam's sin, much more abundantly did God's grace and the gift that comes by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to benefit many. Think about this. Adam and Eve sinned. The one sin that started the, the chain reaction, but God's grace overflows enough to benefit us all. How much more powerful is the grace of God for us than the power of sin in one person? Adam and Eve sinned, which caused a chain reaction, which was powerful. It caused us to become born into sin. But the gift of Jesus Christ and the grace that was given is even more powerful because it can bring us out of sin and bring us into right standing with God. Instead of, oh, I have to have a relationship with God. I have to do these things. How many of you guys have friends that's like, I just can't come to church because I got to get my life together. I got to get myself figured out before I come to church so then I can be acceptable to God. The great thing about God is he accepts you looking like a dead fish and brings you into a better life. He brings you looking, you can come to him as messed up and as crappy as you can be and God will change you. He's not expecting you to change yourself to become part of what he's, he's called you to do. He calls you out of darkness into light, into new life. He calls you out of death, out of darkness, into new life and walk in light with him. Verse 16, nor the gift of grace like that which one came through the one who sinned, for the one who had judgment resulted from the trespass that, was brought, that brought condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift resulted from many trespasses and brought justification to be released from sin's penalty. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned throughout the one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So then as, excuse me, so then as through one trespass, Adam sinned, there resulted in condemnation for all men, even so, through the one act of righteousness that resulted in the justification of life for all men. The one act of, of Adam caused us to live, to cause us to become unrighteous and to live in sin. But Jesus' one act caused us to, it says, to have justification of life to all men. And I, I want you to remember this, is salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we can... Uh, take our time to, to, to work our way into salvation. Salvation is a free gift, and it starts when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believe in your heart that he is, he is God and that Jesus is, you know, was born, crucified, died, raised again, and rose again. But all that condemnation, even though righteousness, there's a result of injustification. We are justified through Jesus' life. What Jesus did on the cross is the only thing that brings us into righteousness. It's the only thing that justifies our sin in the, in the scale of things. You ever seen in some um, religions, they believe there's scale. I can't remember what religion. I think it's Greek, but they believe there are scales. And when you die, you go into the afterlife and what you've done in life, you bring with you and you have to put it on a scale and how it weighs out against whatever they have is their good deeds, whatever. I don't even know what it is. And if, he doesn't, if it doesn't 
way more than what has been done, you don't get the afterlife. And I'm, I'm looking at this. No matter what we do, no matter how good we are, Paul calls all of our good deeds what? Filthy rags. And if we really know what that means, it's really disgusting. That's how good our good deeds are compared to Christ Jesus and his blood. Romans 10 says this, verse 12, remember that the Lord draws no distinction between Jew, non-Jew. He is Lord over all things and he pours out his treasure on all who invoke his name. Because the scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Faith is not something we do. It is a response to what God has already done on our behalf. The response of a spirit restless in a messed up world. If you can't realize that we lived in a we live in a messed up world and we need someone to bring us into a normal way of living there's problems we have we can look you can look on the news you can look on the paper you can look anywhere and there's always something that you're like why is this world so messed up because they we live in a world that doesn't realize they need jesus Verse 14 is a, is a tough scripture, and it says this, Romans 10, 14 says, how can people invoke his name when they do not believe? How can they believe in him when they have not heard? How can they hear if no one is proclaiming him? Our lives, because of Jesus Christ, are different. If we, oh, we are born again, if we've called made on him, made him our, our Lord and Savior, made God our, our Father, we have a responsibility. It says, how can they believe when they have not heard? How can they hear if no one is proclaiming him? Our job is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The great thing is, is we have Jesus Christ. We are made righteous in the eyes of God and our job is to take the righteousness of God and be ministers of reconciliation ministers of righteousness to the people who are not living in right with who are not living right with god and to bring them into new life with jesus christ that's why paul calls us ministers of reconciliation we're called to reconcile people to god we don't make the reconciliation we just help facilitate it we can't reconcile people to god we just we just drag them along sometimes and say hey you you, you need to come to church with me or you need to go to this with me or have you heard about jesus and us starting that moment, those conversations with people, that reconciliation with people, is how the, uh, we are the catalyst for reconciling with God. He doesn't, he, if, he didn't need, if he didn't want to use us, he wouldn't have to. God could step his foot on earth and reveal himself to all men. And do you know that it was still that some would not believe? I think that's an hallucination. Oh, nope, that's not real. That's a hologram. You know, that's not. There's always going to be somebody that's not going to believe. But it says in the end that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord, whether they believe it or not. But God could step on, Jesus could walk on earth as he did 2,000 years ago. And people were like, nope, that's just, he's from Nazareth. He's the, he's the guy that built stuff. He's, he, he's, not, he's not Lord. He's not Savior. There will always be that disbelief in people's hearts. Because they don't want to follow. They don't want to, to bend knee to. They're hard-hearted. 
It's what Jesus or what God called the children of Israel. He goes, you're hard-hearted. And our hard hearts are what keep us from being right with God. Death reigned in Adam, but it doesn't have to reign in us. Death reigned in Adam because of his sin, and because of our sin, death will remain if we choose. But we have the free gift of salvation, which is Christ Jesus. And our job as Christians is not to come together and wait for Jesus to come back. I'm so sick of that. People are like, well, you know, hopefully he comes back soon. Well, yes, I want Jesus to come back soon, but I also want people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't, Jesus, God doesn't want any to perish. But why are we so, Jesus, come back now. Oh, do you want, because you're selfish and you just want to go to heaven? And there's people that are around you that aren't born again and they haven't heard the gospel and they need to hear the gospel, but you just want Jesus to come back because you, I can't take this world anymore. Well, Jesus didn't say you were supposed to. He said, you, you abide in me, I will abide in you. Abiding in means that you live in. That means that he, we live in him to go through what we have to go through. There's going to be things that we don't like. The world's not going to all get... 100% better. We're like, oh, we're just here to make the world better. No, the world is not going to get better. I'm sorry. People are like, we're salt and light. Yeah, salt and light only lasts for a certain amount of time. Candle only lasts a certain amount of time. Salt only preserves for a period of time before it loses its saltiness. And for us, we have to look at it and say, yeah, I want, I want God to come back. I want Christ to come back. But I'm also thinking, I want people around me to know Jesus. I want the people I know in my life to not go to hell. I want them to, to confess Jesus as Lord. Will they all? I don't know. I, I, probably not all of them. But I want them to, I want to give them the chance. So when we're like, Jesus, you just need to come back now. We joke about that sometimes. You know, we're going through something. You're like, Jesus, just come back now. I can't take this. But what, what, what part of our selfish spirit wants him to come back now, but there's so many people around us that don't know him, that have not heard him? We were, I don't remember who we were talking to, but Sarah and I were talking, and they're like, they'd never heard about Jesus. No one had ever told them about Jesus. We take for granted what we have and what we know, and there's a lot of people around us that have never even heard the, the gospel of Jesus, have heard, never heard the good news that Jesus can be their Savior and can, he can deliver them. And it, makes, and it makes me mad because people are like, I want God to come back now, but there's so many people that are going to hell, and there's so many people that could go to hell if we just want Jesus to come back now. Jesus did not call his disciples to wait in the upper room and wait for me to come back. What did he say? He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And for us, we, that is still our call. We're not, a, we're not the, uh, the disciples, we're not the apostles, but our call is to still make disciples of all the nations. And so quit saying, oh, I can, this world's just horrible. Jesus needs to come back now. Yes, this world is horrible in a lot of ways. We kill a lot of babies every year in this country. We kill, we, you know, in Canada now, they're starting to um, allow veterans to, to do assisted suicide if they've had too much PTSD. They're doing assisted suicides in Canada on a daily basis now. Because we're not, they're trying to disable the, the, the churches in the, in the country 
to not speak out against what is wrong with the, with the culture, and they have to be more in loving and inclusive. The, the gospel is not loving and inclusive. The gospel calls it how it is. God is loving. He loves people, but the gospel of Jesus does not, is not, oh, everything's lovey, lovey, and, and everything's fine. No, it is, it is harsh, and it, is, it, it, it picks at the scab of culture. And it says we're not going to let it stay there. And so when we look at our culture, yeah, it, there's some messed up things. We've got, you know, abortion and other war. And, you know, we look at war and like how can this, you know, people dying all the time. And that's, that's messed up. But we also have to look past that and say, you know what, we can't control that. We don't determine the time when he, st- he comes back. And we have to just serve him and say, how do I make a difference for the kingdom and for your gospel with the, the platform you've given me, the, your job, where you work, is the platform you have to, to minister to people. You may not lead them to Christ, but you can just share the love of Christ with them. You can be loving like Christ to them and pray that someone can lead them to Christ. So quit asking Jesus to come back soon. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but don't. Because you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have relatives that are not born again. And you know what? We need this time. We need this, our season, our lives to minister to those people. There are none righteous, no, not one, but one man, and that is Christ Jesus. He is the only righteous one. He was the only man that walked earth and became right and was righteous. Not, he was sinless, never, you know, cussed his mom out when she didn't make his lunch right, never, you know, smacked his brother in the back of the head with something when he didn't get his way. He was perfect. He did everything the way his father in heaven told him to do it. And he had a perfect union with God. And because of him, we have salvation. Because of him, we have the opportunity to walk in right standing with God because of his blood that was shed for us, that paid for our sins, past, present, future, when we were stupid, when we're being stupid, and when we get stupid in the future, that blood covers it. But God's not looking for your approval. He's looking for you to surrender yourself to him. God's not like, oh, I hope they approve of me. He's creator of the universe. He doesn't care for your approval. He wants your heart. You know, like, do you believe in God? Yeah, I kind of believe in God, you know. I, I don't know if he's, what he's like, but he's kind of cool, you know. It's like God's like, I'm not, God's not like, oh, I hope they say something good about me. God doesn't care about that. God wants your heart on bended knee. Submission to him is the only way God wants our lives. He doesn't want you going, well, I'm going to do it my way, and you got to follow me, God. No, it doesn't work that way. It says, all that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And I think it's, it, it's not, in church we've made it kind of this weird, difficult thing to do of, you know, come up here and you'll be saved, and come say it with us and you'll be saved. But there's a lot of times, I never said it with anybody. I was just in my bed as a kid saying, I, you know, 
that fear of going to hell thing. You know, they talked about it in Awana, and I'm like, oh, crap, you know, I'm going to go to hell if I don't get my, my badge for this scripture. You know, um, no, I'm just kidding. No, but you hear about it, and it scares you. As a, you know, a 10-year-old kid, you scares the hell out of you. You know, you're like, oh, crap. You're like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm going to go to hell if I don't do this. And so you do that, and you're like, okay. And God, but the fear of God, the fear of hell is sometimes the gateway to the fear of God. And you're just like, God's like, well, if it's going to scare you and it's going to lead you to me, I'll use it. And then I can work on how we, how we talk and how we have a communication, how our relationship is. Some people think of God is an angry God and they, they believe in him because they don't want to go to hell. But some people know God as a loving God and they want a relationship with him. But God's like, I'll take either or and then I'll work on the relationship part on the scary part, people that think I'm scary. So when we, when we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says you shall be saved. And I think we've got to quit making it a uh, production and make it something that is between us in the, and sometimes in the private time between us and God and just say, I can't do this on my own. I don't think it needs to be this huge public profession of I got up and got saved. I think it needs to be, because I, I, working in youth, I've seen a lot of kids come up multiple times, multiple times, multiple times because they don't understand it. They just feel the urge. They feel the call of God, but they don't understand it. And I think it, it has to be, it's a personal thing between us and God that it has to be our hearts willing to submit ourselves to God. And it can't be, well, I did it out of fear and I keep going up every six months because I don't understand it or I'm, I'm afraid of something or life's not going well, so I go up for another altar call because I need salvation again. It's a heart that is submitted to Christ. And then when we say, I can't do this on my own, I need your righteousness to cover my unrighteousness, that's when it starts to, that's when it starts to actually take hold. And, I, and salvation is, is a momentary thing, but I think, you guys ever, when you got saved, feel like, oh, I don't know, am I really saved now? Like, because your sin is weighing on you. You know, you've got this, the, your, your conscience is going, God, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of your sin, and then you're born again, you're like, yeah, I feel good. And then you're like, but then you go back the next day, and you're like, all that sin's still piling up on you. That's a normal thing, but it's how we renew our mind in Christ to understand that our sin has no more weight on us. Our sin has no more weight on us unless we give it permission to have weight upon us because that sin is gone. Let's pray.